Man, I don't know what I'm supposed to say after that. I don't know. <laughs> but, but good morning, everyone, and, and welcome to worship. And welcome right now, not only to those of you who are here in our contemporary service, but welcome also to those of you who are joining us in our traditional sanctuary online and via broadcast. I'm really glad that you guys are here. I'm glad we have the chance to do this together, to learn together, and grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. And I know I say that like all the time. Every week that I'm up here, I say I'm glad that you're here, but I mean, I mean that. I'm really glad that you're here. I just want to acknowledge maybe today as we get started on a new season that like none of us actually had to be here this morning, right? Like all of us made a choice to be here, and myself included, all of us, every single one of us is here as a result of a series of conscious choices that we made to come here today. Uh, different studies say different things, but most people are not doing this today. Like probably as many as 80% of the people in America anyway, in different numbers in different parts of the world, a lot of people are not doing anything like what you're doing here this morning. This is kind of weird, right? It's worth asking ourselves, why? Right, like what, what made us come here? Why do we come here? I, I can relate to this. My, my friends, people who like to do the things that I like to do, a lot of them are not doing anything like this right now. A lot of my friends who like to do what I like to do are going for a long training run down by the river right now, or they're sitting in the saddle of a fast bike powering up and down the hills north of Stillwater somewhere. That's probably what I would do if I didn't have a reason that I wanted to be here this morning. Or today's kickoff Sunday for this other league that you might have heard of besides us today, a football league. This guy, Roger Goodell, he called us up. He's like, when's kickoff Sunday this year? So it's football today. If I weren't doing that, I might be at home getting some chips and dip ready to park my backside on the couch and watch some football, right? Anybody else going to watch some football later today? I don't know what you would be doing if you weren't here today. What I'm trying to say is this. All of us gave something else up. All of us made a sacrifice. We gave some other use of our time up to be here right now. Maybe for you, you'd be out on the golf course somewhere. I'm an embarrassment to the game of golf, so I don't do that, but maybe you would. Maybe you'd be fishing this morning. We learned a little bit about that already. Maybe you got a favorite coffee shop, sip a latte there for a little while, read the paper. Maybe some of you would be doing this glorious thing called sleeping right now, if you weren't here. I've heard there are people who are so talented that they can actually go to church and sleep. Have you heard of that? Remember that? <laughs> Not here, though, right? I don't see anybody doing that right now. Why? Why do we do that? Some of you are here for the very first time today. So coming to this place is not at all a habit for you. You definitely made a conscious choice to be here in this place today. Why do we do that? And it's not just like being here, right? But a lot of you are complicit in this. You're partners in crime. You sacrifice something in your life to make this happen, as a matter of fact. Many of you give your tithes and offerings. You part with your hard-earned money to help make this happen. Some of you volunteer your time and your energy. And I know something about people because I'm one of them. We don't like parting with our precious resource of time, and we don't like parting with our hard-earned money for no reason at all. So why do we do that? A lot of us make sacrifices here in this church family for the good of other people. No matter which worship service you're in right now, contemporary or traditional, you know that a lot of our church's energy and resources goes in to helping other people come to know and worship God. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we make these sacrifices, right? Today's kickoff Sunday. We're starting the fall season, which means we're actually going to do more of this weird stuff now than we were doing before. And in this series right now, I'm sharing with you some of the results of our Vision 2020 process. If you are newer around here for about the last year or a little bit more, our church family has been engaged in this process we've called Vision 2020, trying to pray and think and work together to discern where do we think God is leading us? What's our future as a church community? So in other words, we're planning to do even more of this into the future. Why? Why would we sacrifice for that? Why would we pursue that? Why would we do that? Well, to be realistic, 
Probably a lot of reasons. Probably we have different whys. Probably you have different motivations than other people. You have different motivations than me. We maybe all have some different little whys for what brought us here together, for how it is that we came to be in the relationship with God we're in. And I think we're all probably at different places in that. But I also think there's one big why. I think there's a really big why behind all of our different whys. And I I wanna talk to you about that this morning. But to do that, I need to invite you on a little journey of the imagination with me, a little little trip of the imagination, first of all, kind of backward in time. I wanna take you on a journey of the imagination to one of the earliest scenes that we know from the life of Jesus, from his adult life, one of the first things we know about him. We know that one day, Jesus went walking along the north end of Lake Galilee, Now, this is the area where he lived and grew up and where his family lived. Jesus walking up to the north end of Lake Galilee would be like maybe you walking by Ramsey County Beach on the north end of White Bear Lake. He's walking this area that he knows very well, and he sees these two guys out there. Their names are Simon and Andrew, and they happen to be brothers. And nobody can know this for sure, but I would imagine that Jesus and Simon and Andrew probably already knew each other. This is a small town area up on the north end of the lake. I actually was part of a trip from our church that visited this area about six months ago. It's an area with just these little towns. Everybody lived in close proximity to each other. These Jewish guys probably went to synagogue together. I would guess they might have been almost neighbors. They probably had met before. And I don't know, but I would guess that while they were doing that, they probably talked. Maybe they did some business together. They were fishermen. Jesus was a craftsman, a builder. Maybe he built something for their family or for their business. Maybe they sold him some fish. Maybe when they were at synagogue together, maybe afterward, sometimes he got around to sharing with them some of his thoughts, some of his now famous teachings that he maybe didn't begin just spouting off after this, but had already been talking about. Maybe Jesus had already at some level begun to share his heart with these guys a little bit. Maybe they were at some level friends, at least they knew each other in town there. Maybe he had shared a little bit of his own heartbreak, his own disappointment over the sake of their people, over the sake of God's people. Maybe he had shared some of his hopes, what lifted his heart, what he knew God was doing, what he saw God doing in him. I bet this wasn't the first time they'd met, but this was the first day of a whole new day. This was a turning point. On this day, Jesus saw, if Simon and Andrew probably didn't yet see, Jesus saw that this was gonna be the beginning of a whole new thing. Jesus was about to invite them into an adventure that would change everything. He was gonna invite them into this adventure with him that would sometimes fill their hearts and and it would sometimes break their hearts. It would certainly change the course of the rest of their lives. Jesus said to them while they were there with their nets working together and catching fish, he said, come, come here. Come follow me and I will make you fish. I don't know, I always wish I had like the tone of voice version of the Bible, like I wonder if Jesus had a twinkle in his eye when he said this, I wonder if he kind of had a little upturned lip if he was smirking, but Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fish for people. You get me? I will make you fish for people. Jesus said, come follow me, right? He started by inviting them into something. He invited them from what they were doing into this whole new life. I mean, at the most basic level, it meant, hey, come here where I'm going. Come follow me. Go to all the destinations I'm going. Come follow me around. But it was more than just geographic, right? More than just proximity. He was inviting them into his life to share his life and his heart and his teachings with them. They would sit under him as a teacher and learn from him life. Learn from him who God is, what God is like, what God is leading them to do. Jesus invited them into that, come, follow me. He invited them, and then he also invested in them. He didn't just invite them, he also made them a promise. 
By the way, for those of you who are note takers, this is the right time. Invite, invest, and there's a third one coming, all right? He promised to invest in them. He said, I'm gonna, I will make you. I'm going to make you something, right? He was going to make them into a community, into a family. Now, these guys were brothers, so they had a head start on that. But sometimes, am I right, brothers, maybe that head start is a backward start? <laughs> but he was going to make them into a family with all the other people he was going to gather together who had nothing in common with each other but him. I'm going to make you into something, but not just for yourselves. I'm not only investing in you for you. He was also, third word, going to empower them. He was going to make them impactful. He was going to make them a team, an an advanced team, a, a sleeper cell of change agents for the kingdom of God who were going through the course of their lives. They were going to change the course of other individual lives they touched. And after not too long, this movement that Jesus started on that day was going to begin to reweave the fabric of human society. All this stuff is bundled up in Jesus' invitation. Come follow me and I will make you fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men and women. Jesus said it in an image they would understand. Come follow me and I will make you fish for people. Of course, by saying that to them, he was really just inviting them to do what he was already doing, right? He cast the net, caught them, invested in them, will empower them. Now he's like, you do it next. You reflect me. What I'm showing you, you show others. Invite them, invest in them, empower in them. And they did it. They began to do it. They were not very good at it. (laughs) They were pretty bad at it, as a matter of fact. Very imperfect, not ready, not fully trained. Sometimes I read the stories of their lives and I'm like, they're as bad at this as I would be if I were them. And yet they did it anyway. Jesus didn't care that they weren't really totally ready yet. They just began to do it. Together with Jesus, they began to go and fish for people. One of the things they did most consistently, following the, following the example of Jesus, is they began to fish for entirely the wrong kind of people, right? If, if you've been around First Lutheran before, you've heard me or one of our pastors say that one of the things that Jesus and his first followers were most famous for during their own lifetimes is they were constantly loving the wrong people, They were constantly caring about people no one else really wanted to care about. They were constantly loving the unlovable, welcoming the unwelcomable. That's not a word, right? They're welcoming the unwelcomable and bringing them in. And the practical act of love for which Jesus got really infamous was eating together. They welcomed people to their table to share the intimate family act of breaking bread together and welcomed to that table people that nobody else thought belonged there. Frankly, people who probably themselves didn't think they belonged there. And this was great for Jesus and his followers and those who were welcomed, but there were people in Jesus' day that this just drove bananas. There were religious leaders in Jesus' day who just pulled their hair out over this. Some of them were called Pharisees. And they're like, Jesus, why are you doing this? Why would someone like you, who claims to represent God, why would you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would you do that? Again, I would love the tone of voice version of the Bible. I'd love to hear when Jesus answered patiently, when Jesus, maybe he smiled again and was like, okay, time number 101, let me tell you this. And he would tell these stories, right? And the stories that we have, we call them gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These, these books of the Bible are full of the stories of Jesus' life, and they're full of the stories that Jesus told. We've come to call them parables in later years. But Jesus would tell story after story to try to help people wrap their heads around what God was doing, to try to help the Pharisees sometimes wrap their heads, but not just their heads, right? To really wrap their hearts around 
Why do I do this? What is God doing here? And all throughout this Vision 2020 process, we've been trying to re-root ourselves. Deep roots make good fruit. We've been trying to put deep roots down into, this, into these stories that Jesus told to help us understand. He did a lot of these stories. The most famous of these stories is, is a story about a father who lost a son. And when I say it that way, it sounds like his son died, which isn't actually the case, but it is how he felt. That's what it was like for him. It's a father who had two sons. Actually, one of them was this rebellious, troublesome son who really wrecked his life, made some terrible choices, ruined his father's reputation, ruined his family's reputation. By inappropriate means, he got a hold of about half of his father's money and took off, split town, went far away and went through that money quick, spent it like it was burning a hole in his pocket, made all kinds of terrible choices while he was there, got himself in all kinds of trouble, eventually hit rock bottom, eventually just bottomed out. Now, rock bottom in the first century when Jesus was telling the story looked like a guy who had gone through all of his money, was starving to death, was so desperate that he got himself a job feeding pigs and was so hungry he wished he could eat the pig food, but nobody would let him. I don't know, rock bottom in the first century might look different than rock bottom in the 21st century, but when you hit it, you know you're there, right? It's rock bottom down there, and he was there. And finally, he hit his head on the bottom, and he came to his senses. He's like, this is stupid. What am I doing here? This is ridiculous. I'm a, I don't know. I'm a, can, do I dare? I might, try to, I might try to go back home again. I, I know my dad would never have me back. I, I can't be his son anymore. I burned my bridges, but I wonder. My dad's got a business at home. Maybe I could go back home. Maybe, maybe he would let me like work in the business somewhere far away from him. So he thought about it, and he, and he got a speech together. He rehearsed. He got this rehearsed speech that he was going to make. Have you ever been in so much trouble? You knew it was going to be so bad you had to rehearse a speech before you got there? He did that. And he starts to think to himself, I'm going to tell him, Dad, I know I wrecked my whole life. I know I did everything wrong. I know I hurt you so bad. I know I'm sorry. And I know that I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And those words must have stung thinking them and saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But man, if you would just maybe give me a job, the, the lowest job in the business, and let me sleep out back, I just, I don't know, do you think, Dad, we could do that? And he gets, he gets his speech together, and he starts walking home. And I don't know how far it was. I bet it was a few days' walk. Jesus said he was in the far country, as far away. He's coming back, repeating those words in his head, playing those tapes, right? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer Worthy, he gets back and he looks up and down the road. I picture it kind of like a long estate driveway going up to the big house where his dad was. And he looks up and he's going to walk up. And then he sees his father running down the road to him, just running. Boy's probably scared out of his wits, not knowing what's going to happen. The father gets there, throws his arms around him. I think it's worthwhile noting he didn't throw his fists. <laughs> Threw his arms around the boy. Just tears, just weeping. And he kisses his son, and the boy tries his speech. The father won't even let him get it out. Just welcome home, welcome home. You're my son. He calls him child, welcomes him back into the family again. And then he begins to throw this party. He throws a feast. He kills the fatted calf, symbol of a big party, right? Spares no expense. Invites all the neighbors that probably in recent days had been cursing the name of this boy who had wrecked the reputation of his family. But the father's like, man, just come celebrate. I don't care. This son of mine, it's like he was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. He brings him home and throws this huge party. Remember, Jesus is telling the story to answer a question. Jesus, why do you do this? 
Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus finishes his story by saying this, this story, there is rejoicing like this in heaven. There is rejoicing like this in heaven. Every time, every time one lost person is found, every time one sinful person turns from the life that is a lie and empty promises to the life that is truly life, there is rejoicing in the heart of God. God is like that. You want to know, Jesus says, why I do what I do? Because that's what God is doing. And if God is doing it, you don't want to believe that I'm going to be doing it. That's why. In fact, the question isn't, I think Jesus would say to these guys, the question isn't, why do I do what I do? The question is, why don't you? Why don't you? Right, Jesus' disciples, they're there. They're at the table welcoming all these people. All these people who got the message loud and clear from the Pharisees that they didn't belong, but Jesus was saying, no, you belong here. You're welcome. They got the picture. They weren't perfect. They were bad at it sometimes, but they got the picture. And a couple years later, after having been apprenticed by Jesus into this way of life, Jesus himself is crucified. He's killed for things like this. Raised again from the dead by the power of God and ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of Almighty God to reign as Lord of heaven and earth. To start putting the whole world back together again. And Jesus' followers are here and they figured out how to do it. And so they kept doing it. They kept getting together regularly. kept sharing their meals together, breaking bread together. Because Jesus made them family after all. And I'm sure that while they were doing it, they kept welcoming all the wrong people to dinner. And they prayed together and they challenged each other and they grew together. And sometimes whenever, when somebody had needs, they would support one another with acts of tremendous generosity, just cared for one another like family. And other people noticed. They saw it. Other people saw what happened. They saw what Jesus was doing in them. And they began to say, we, we want to do that. We would give up our old way of life. We would leave that behind to come here and be like you guys and live as a part of this community in relationship with God like you know God. We would do that. We would love to learn to pray like you pray with power, like Jesus apparently taught you to pray. We'd love to do that and be alive like you're alive. We would do that. We'd love to start sacrificing. We'd love to be generous and share our resources with one another like we see you doing. If that's what it means to be a part of a community like we see in you, we want it in. And there was one of Jesus' followers, one of these early Christian leaders and writers. His name was Luke. And he wrote down a book with these stories from these early days in it. It's come in these days to be called Acts. The Acts of the early Christians, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of Jesus through his people. And Luke wrote in that book that during this time, the Lord added to their number daily. Every day God was bringing new people who saw this and said, I want in on that. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved from their old way of life to life with God in Jesus Christ. Jesus had taken these guys, Simon and Andrew, more friends, men, women, a whole crowd of them, he said, seen them and brought them together and made them a community, invested them, empowered them, and now they were fishing for people. And they were catching them by the netfuls. And they were just reflecting the heart of God. They had come to know the heart and love of God for them. They had come to know who they were and where they had come from when nobody else wanted to welcome them in. Jesus did. They had come to know the heart of God for them, and so they were ready to show the heart of God to others. They were reflecting the heart of God. This is how they lived. This is what they did. And then they taught it to the next generation of Jesus' followers. And they, they passed the baton to the next generation and to the next generation 
and to the next, and to the next, and to the next, and the next, and the next, until somebody took that baton that Jesus handed to Simon and Andrew on the north end of Lake Galilee a long, long time ago, and they handed it to you. Somebody put that in your hand, in my hand, our collective hand together, this church family, our community, the followers of Jesus today, so that God could show us his heart, so that we could know, so that God could see us, find us. If you were walking down the road from whatever far country maybe you were in, maybe it's the same one that I was in. We were coming back up the road going, I don't know, I don't belong here. Whatever piece of shame you were bearing, whatever pain you had in your life, if you have pain in your life, I want you to know you're in good company around here. And we look up the road and don't know what to expect. We probably don't belong at home. And God wants us to know that his heart is for us, that he would come trucking down the road, running after us to throw his arms around us and say, I don't know what label you have on yourself. I don't know what you've been called. I don't know what you call yourself. I call you my child. I call you son and daughter of God, that you would know the heart of God for you. And then that you would show the heart of God to others. Because there are still so many more who don't know, right? There's still way too many people who are living without the hope of God in Jesus Christ for this life and the next. Way too many people who are still walking down the road the wrong way, who need to know the heart of God for them that would chase them down. Maybe before they hit the head against the rock at the bottom, maybe not, who need to know. Like 80% of them, right? 80% of the people who live on your street, who work with you, who are your friends. And God's heart is set on them. God loves those people every bit as much as he loves you. And he's ready for us together by our way of life, by your way of life, by the words we speak and the actions we carry out to reflect his heart, to show his love to the world. Let me just tell you a story about this. It's a story about a modern day fisher of people, a modern day fisherman, in this case, a, a fisherwoman. And every time I hear this story, it reminds me of this passage. And every time I think about this story, it, I, I remember why. I remember why. It's a story about a, a little girl her name is Brianna, and Brianna had a few months earlier began coming to her children's ministry small group. It's a story about Brianna, and it's a story about a girl named Brooke who's 16 years old, older than Brianna, and Brooke, this 16-year-old, is Brianna's small group leader. Brianna's been coming for a few months, and after just a little bit, she'd been invited by her friends. After just a little bit, her mom started coming to worship with other adults at the same time. And this day that Brianna shows up, she just looks to Brooke a little bit more heavy-hearted than usual. Well, it turns out that Brianna comes and her mom comes to worship, but Brianna's dad is never there because, sadly, Brianna's dad is fighting pretty unsuccessfully against alcoholism. And the day before, he had promised Brianna that he was going to come and pick her up and do something special. But he hadn't shown up. She was just left there with the shoes on waiting for him to come. And as usual, he'd been too distracted by something to call and explain why, and Brianna knew that as usual, the next time she did see him, he wouldn't say a word about it. Probably because he'd be too embarrassed, because he'd be in too much pain himself. He's fighting too. Well, Brianna comes, and Brooke can see something's wrong, and she asks her about it. And this is the story that Brianna tells Brooke that day. And, you know, not so funny coincidence, Brooke has almost the same story. She's just a little bit older and a little bit farther down the road. And so she sits down and asks Brianna what's going on, and Brianna just spills it. She just tells her the story. And Brooke knows enough to listen. She just listens. And as she hears the story, Brooke throws her arms right around Brianna, just gives her a long hug. Just a long hug. And at the end of the time they had together, 
She made sure to give her cell phone number to Brianna and she made sure to give it to her mom too. And then on the way home that day, after Brooke had said, there's my number, you just, you use it anytime. Anytime you need someone to talk to, use this number. On the way home, don't you know Brianna, with her mother's permission, takes her phone out of her purse, sends a little text message to Brooke, just says, thank you for listening. Just thank you. you know? And Brooke, right, 16-year-old Brooke, who's totally not ready for this, who's totally not trained for this, but fortunately doesn't know it yet, gets that text message and just texts back right away and just says, hi, sweetheart, you're so welcome. And I want you to know that your heavenly father loves you and that he will never cancel plans on you and that he will never not have time for you. And you're an awesome girl. And you can always be that way. Remember, there's so many people who love you. That's it. And Brianna had the experience, the opportunity to experience in Brooke to feel the heart of her heavenly father because Brooke got the opportunity to reflect it. That's what Jesus told his disciples to do when he called them by the seashore that day. And that's what we get to do. And that right there is why, right? That's why. And I would do anything to be a part of that. I've, these next couple weeks we're sharing with you the vision that we think God has been speaking to us through our church community. And we'll have a chance to talk about some of the details down the road today is about the heart of that vision. And the heart of that vision is nothing else but the heart of our Father. It's the heart of God. The heart of our vision is not what are we gonna do, it's not what kind of programs could we launch, it's not what kind of buildings could we build or budgets could we forecast. There's time for that, we'll get to that. The heart of the vision that God has given us is not what are we gonna do, it's who are we gonna be. And we are gonna be the kind of people, we are gonna be the kind of community, we will be a church family who knows and shows the heart of God, who reflects the heart of our Heavenly Father. Right now, I can't answer this question for you. Nobody can answer this question for anybody else. We all get to answer for ourselves. But I'll tell you my answer. I really want in on this. I don't want, I don't want anything else in life as much as I would love to be a part of that. I mean, if I could help more Brianna's know the heart of her Heavenly Father for her, and I don't care if Brianna's seven or 17 or 70. I don't care. I don't care if her name's Brianna or Brian. I don't care. If God would let me use my one precious life for something like that, sign me up. I'm in. You get to answer for yourself. I'm in. Over the course of these next couple of weeks, what I want to do for three more weeks is just share with you what I think are some of the, the practical steps that will take next steps for us as a church family, areas of growth, for us to be this kind of people who reflect the heart of our Father, who live in the First Lutheran Church family values that we have on the banners in both of our worship venues. We're going to get through that for the next few weeks. And three weeks from the day on Sunday morning, September 28th, mark your calendars right now, is the opportunity for all of us to say, sign me on for that. I want to be a partner in that mission that God has given us. I want to be part of that future vision that we would be that people who reflects, who knows and show the heart of God. But that's in three weeks. I want you to think about that and pray about that between now and then. For today, one simple action step for you. One thing that I would just love it if all of us would do together for this next week. I'd like us to root this whole thing in prayer. And I'd love to, I want to just give you one very short, simple, short sentence prayer for you to pray this week, and it's this. Jesus, help me know and show the heart of God. Jesus, help me know 
and show the heart of God. Can we, let's practice it together. Traditional service, contemporary service, online, cable TV, everybody. Let's just do this together right now. Ready? Jesus, help me know and show the heart of God, that we would know the heart of the Father for us. If you would pray that this week, pray. If you, go, if you might pray before you go to bed, maybe you could pray it in the morning. Some people like to pray while they drive. You can do that if you want. If you like to pray while you drive, I hope you like to pray with your eyes open. Do that, okay? I want you to talk to God, but not that directly just yet, okay? So you get there? Yeah, good, thanks. So pray that prayer this week. If our whole church community will pray that together, Jesus, help me know, not just show, help me know, not just know, show. Jesus, help me know and show the heart of God. Let's ground ourselves in prayer right there, and let me pray for us right now as we close this time together. Good and gracious God, thank you that you have not left us to our own devices, that you have not left us alone, that you have not left us in the far country, that you have not left us bitter about our brothers and sisters who have gone to the far country. You've given us your heart. You've shown us your grace. You've welcomed us at your table. And I pray, God, that you would just send your spirit, your very own presence, to welcome us, to invite us, to build us up, to empower us, that we would not only know, but Jesus, help us know and show the heart of God. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.